It is always a blessing for us to be together. Uh, before we uh, open up the, the sermon together this morning, I want to say just a few words about some, some friends from far away who are going to be uh, making their home with us for the next four years. The Gasore family uh, is relocating to Abilene uh, so that SB can, can finish her training as a nurse. Uh, Serge is going to be going back and forth, I believe, spending roughly six months here and six months uh, over there, and that, that's a lot to juggle, uh, and we want to be their, their spiritual family in every way that we can be, and one of the ways we can help them right now, they have a place to, to live, they have a house, it's furnished, uh, but they, they need all the stuff that any of us need when we move into a house for the first time, and so Jana Hanner, where are you? Her hands are, everyone look, make her feel uncomfortable. You're not making her feel uncomfortable. Okay, get gift cards to Jana, uh, general gift cards that anybody could use in order to stock up their pantry, to stock up their house, cleaning supplies, stuff like that. Um, Jana will make sure they get them. We want to make sure that they know how much we love them, and one of the ways to do that is, is simple, right, to make sure they have what they need. Um, so please be, continue to be in prayer for them, uh, but think about ways that you might be able to bless them specifically in this moment as they make their home here for the next four years, okay? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for people like the Gsores. We We thank you for all of our missionary families, for the ways that they... They carry the good news and the goodness of, of your son to people all over the face of this earth. We thank you for the ways that you not only allow us to know them, but to support them. And so we pray that you would work through us the gift of, of welcome and generosity. We pray that you would use us uh, in one another's lives, as we reach out to the stories, and as we reach out to all of our missionary families, as we reach out to one another, we pray that you would help us to be living, tangible proof of your welcome and your embrace. We thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're nearing the end of this study that we've been focused on together as a church for the last couple of months. In fact, it's been over the course of the last 10 weeks, this is week 11, where we have been trying our best to be open to listening to the inspired words of advice and instruction that the Apostle Paul first gave to a little body of believers in the ancient Roman city of Corinth 2,000 years ago. And what I have found in, in my own experience of this study is that it has, it has been challenging. It, it has really opened my eyes up to some things that maybe I, I've seen before, but I needed to see again. It, it amazes me every time I have that experience of the Holy Spirit taking uh, what might be words I've read or heard before and speaking new life into my life. And, and, and I hope that that's been something of the kind of experience you've had as well. But what we've been trying to do throughout this study is not only focus on the content of what Paul is saying, but to, but to learn how to think the way Paul does, to see the world the way Paul sees the world, to see the church the way Paul sees the church. And he's wanting to teach us how, how to do that. He's wanting to show us how he works specific challenges and problems, how he works through them, how he gets to a place of feeling like this is the best way to respond. This is the best action to take. And so we've kind of framed that up in a very specific question, right? What, what Paul's trying to teach us how to do is work through the question, what, what difference 
should Jesus' way of life, death, and resurrection make in this specific situation? And, you know, this specific situation is always changing. So throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul's working through issues like marriage and sex and conflict and this, this spirit of competition that's at work, not just in Corinth, but in the Corinthian church. He, he, he talks through mixed hearts and, and mixed allegiances with idolatry. He talks about how they should be open to using the, the ways they've been blessed, sharing those resources with, with one another. And as you get into chapters 11 through 14, Paul starts to really focus on a very, very clear version of this question, right? And he spends the most amount of time he's going to spend talking about any specific situation, and it has to do with worship. So what we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks is what difference should Jesus' way of life, death, and resurrection make in how we worship together as God's people? Now, the the reason that Paul is spending the kind of time that he does, the, the number of verses that he's going to invest in this specific issue, is it's got to be because he's really concerned about it. That they're gathering together, but what's happening when they're gathering together isn't actually helping them walk farther away from you know, the, the supposed wisdom of the world so that they can experience the true wisdom of Christ. They talk a good game, but they're not actually experiencing that kind of transformation. And it's tricky because they're all really good at attending church worship services. They're there. Every time the doors are open, they're there. And, and it's easy if you're always there to think that you're automatically, by showing up, you're doing all that you need to do. That you're experiencing all that you need to experience no matter what's really happening. And Paul wants them to, to understand that it is possible for God's people, for the body of Christ to gather together and for us to not find a way to call one another to more faithful discipleship. That we, that we bring the spirit of competition and comparison with us right into this place. That, that we, we keep pretending to be people we aren't. That we say we care about things that if you were to look at the rest of our lives during the rest of the week, we don't actually care and Paul says, if you do that, you're deceiving yourselves and you're, you're actually misleading one another. And so he talks not only about how they should take communion, he talks about how they should sing together. He talks about how they, they need to see one another when they come together to worship the God who's called them together. And so we've looked at, you know, he, he gives instructions about, about how they need to be respectful of the presence of God how they need to respect one another. He talks about the fact that they've all been given different kinds of gifts from the Holy Spirit that, that are supposed to help make worship different than any other experience they have in the week. He, he talks about the fact that even though they have these different gifts, there's one thing that unifies them, and that's what should motivate them when they're using those gifts. He says it's, it's always got to be driven by love, this self-giving love that's focused more on other people than on you. That, that you could actually experience the gifting of the Holy Spirit and yet somehow make it more about you than anybody else. And if you do that, you're not, it's not blessing you or anybody else. And we talked about that last week. We talked about the fact that in the love chapter, chapter 13, when Paul's talking about you know, love is, is patient and kind and it doesn't boast and it isn't proud, that, that he's, he's trying to describe not just 
what love is, he's trying to say this is, this is how love lives, that you should live this love towards one another. And it looks this way. And we talked about the fact it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to come naturally. He's convinced that that kind of experience can only come supernaturally. That it's always a gift of the Spirit. That we always have to be open to it. And, and I meant to say this last week, and, and I have you again uh, six days later, so I'm going to say it now. You know, church is supposed to be hard. And there are certain things in life that are supposed to be hard. And you and I would be uncomfortable if we suddenly lowered the standards and made it easier. Medical school is supposed to be hard. I want it to be hard. I want it to be challenging. I don't want to, to lower the bar until I could be a doctor. Just because I feel like it might be interesting. Right? There are things in our lives. G getting in shape. It's hard. I think it's supposed to be hard. It takes discipline. I need some of you to help me figure out how to find it. Okay, there are things in life that are supposed to be challenging. Church is supposed to be challenging. And I think when we have this expectation that it's going to be easy or it's going to, it's going to meet me right where I am in terms of, of how distracted I might be or the pursuits that I'm chasing after that God really isn't interested in giving to me, that if I, if I think that church is never going to be a challenge, then of course I'm going to be confused and frustrated when it is. And I might just give up on it because it's difficult. Paul says, who, who told you church? Love's not easy. Who, who told you that? Well, the world told you that. Well, we come to this place to remember the truth again. That anything deeply worth doing is always a real challenge. It always is. It's what makes it so valuable. Is that it's, it's hard. Okay, so he's still talking. He's using... Four chapters, he keeps going, and you know it's because it's a big problem there. Once Christian worship loses its way, but we're still calling it Christian worship, it's as dangerous as idolatry. That's why he won't leave this alone. So we're going to continue. You've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 14. He's still right in the middle of this conversation. And he picks up where he left off in chapter 13. Pursue love. And then he says, you know, you're ambitious because the world has taught you to be ambitious. So fine, I'll settle for that. Use your ambition to try to get spiritual gifts, but especially so that you might prophesy. Now, I'm going to stop for a second here. He's about to define what he means by this in a few verses. Okay? Now, he's going to talk about two gifts that you and I don't typically talk about much prophesying and speaking in tongues. And this, this sermon is not about the doctrinal kind of debate about which spiritual gifts God still grants to people and which spiritual gifts God doesn't still grant to people. There's nowhere in the Bible that makes that clear. You're welcome. We'll be back to that in a second. Okay? Now, there are obviously spiritual gifts you and I haven't experienced, there are spiritual gifts we haven't been given. There are spiritual gifts we're not interested in. Okay? And my dad, I always think of my dad when I read these passages. He always said, son, be careful not to judge the way God might be working in someone else's life. The kingdom of God is always bigger than your own experience of it. Okay? That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, 
what he's talking about when he says speaking in tongues in the first century in this church is that they are speaking a non-human language. It's a prayer language. The issue's not that. It's something that Paul says it might make an individual feel closer to God. It doesn't help anybody else around them because nobody else around them can understand it. Therefore, it's a private gift. It doesn't really belong in church. That's, that's what he's pushing against here. Prophecy is public. It's a gift that it's intelligible speech. In other words, everyone can understand it. By the way, preaching that you can't understand is not good preaching. Right? Okay, so it's supposed to be understood. And, and by the way, all prophecy is preaching. Not all preaching is prophesying. We'll get to that in a moment. But he, he's saying, look, you're, you're confusing a private devotional gift with what would be helpful to everyone else. Okay, that's the tension point. Okay, let's go back. Verse 2, this is because those who speak in a tongue don't speak to people but to God. No one understands it. They speak mysteries by the Spirit. By the way, if you've got your Bible open, you're going to notice later in this chapter he says, I speak tongues more than the rest of you combined. Right? If, you, if anyone wants to show off about how their daily devotional time with God goes, I can beat you at that. Right? That's what he's saying. Okay. Verse 3, those who prophesy speak to people, building them up and giving them encouragement and comfort. So if you want a definition of what he thinks prophesying is, it's not just telling the future, which is kind of how we tend to define it. No, when you prophesy, you build people up, you give them encouragement, and you comfort them. People who speak in a tongue build up themselves. Those who prophesy build up the church. I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, in other words, I wish in your private devotional time with God, you felt close as you could possibly be. But that's not why you're at church, right? He says, I wish all of you'd have that experience, but I'd rather that you could speak words that build up and encourage and comfort. Those who prophesy are more important. Now, I don't think he actually thinks this. I think he's saying, he's talking in the way they think. They, they want to rank people. And he's saying, well, if we're going to rank it, then you guys have chosen showing off that during a worship service, you feel filled with the Spirit, and you suddenly start to speak in tongues, and everybody around you sees you do that, and it kind of becomes this whole public display thing, and nobody's built up by you having that experience in front of them. So if we're going to rank it, the most important gift when the church gathers together is prophecy. Those who prophesy are more important than those who speak in tongues unless they're able to interpret them so that the church might be built up. Okay, this keeps going on. And we're not going to read the entire rest of the, the chapter, but this phrase, build up the church, it happens uh, in verse 5, it happens in verse 12, it happens in verse 26. It's kind of this summary statement. He uses the verb in various ways for other times, this edification, this building up. He's wanting to make sure we understand when we come to church, the point of the church is not for me personally in front of you to feel closer and closer to Jesus, even if you aren't having that experience. We come together to build up one another. That's why you came this morning. Whether I knew it or not, that's why I came this morning to church. It's why I got up, and even though it was cloudy and, and it was rainy, and I just wanted to stay home and read a book, I got up anyway. 
And I looked over my sermon because we come to this place in order to build one another up. It's the only thing worth getting through all the obstacles it might take for for you to come here, right? Now, I don't want us to get too distracted by what kinds of spiritual gifts Paul is envisioning taking place within the, the life of the church. I would say this to you. There are more spiritual gifts than we're aware of. There have to be. Because God is always more than what we have experienced so far. Okay, so that's not the debate I want to have. I want to talk about us trying to use a church as a tool of private devotion. That's not what the church is for. You have an individual relationship with Jesus, or I hope you do. I'm not denying that. But what Jesus does with you in private is intended to turn you into someone who can bless this church in public. That's what's going on. It's it's not just about belonging in church. It's being empowered to build up the church. Right? The the belonging is absolutely foundational. You belong in church. But you... You bring something to the table. You're able to do something, and that's why you're here. You're able to be something, and that's why you're here. Now, I know it's tricky. it's, It's really challenging because of the way we do church compared to the way they were doing church 2,000 years ago in Corinth. Right? The church, everything we can piece together historically is this church would have fit within a relatively large family home. And that there would have been maybe a courtyard in the middle of that home, and they would have met together, all of them, young and old. Right? The kids and the senior saints, all in the courtyard together. And I don't know if they had a little section where the youth group sat in those days, but you know, you can picture it. 30 to 40 people. And what, what's bothering Paul in this chapter, as he continues to talk about it, is they think the church is there to assure them, each one of them individually, to assure them that they're as impressive as they hope they are. That it, they're trying to use everybody else in that gathering to build themselves up. Instead of asking themselves, as they walk through the archway into that that courtyard, who am I here for? Who is is God calling me to? And what's happening is it's this competition. It's almost like a a talent show every Sunday morning. They, they, They start having these different gifts that the Holy Spirit's given them. This is really important for us to know. You can be given a gift from the Holy Spirit and misuse it which is not what the Spirit intended, but you're a partner with the Holy Spirit, so you can take that gift and you can misapply it. So some of them have these moments where they, they speak in tongues. Some of them have moments where they prophesy. Some of them have questions, and, and so they're, they're all starting to talk over one another, and it is chaos. In fact, for Paul, it's embarrassing because he's concerned that someone might visit their church service and look around and think everybody had just lost their mind. He says that. 
And, and this is not the, the most rhetorically uh, beautiful way to say it. Paul wants Christians to be weird in the right way. He doesn't want them to be weird in the wrong way. He wants them to stand out. He wants people to notice that they're different, that they live different kinds of lives. He doesn't want people to show up at a worship service and think, this is, this is pandemonium. Who, who's in charge here? And he says, so look, when, when 30, 40 of you get together, take turns for God's sake. Take turns. Because you're not there for everybody else to hear you. You're there for them to hear God through you. How can they do that if you're all fighting with one another about who's the better speaker or who has the deepest insight or who has the most skills to do this? That's not church. It's something else. And that leads us to this foundational truth, right? When the church gathers together for worship, every single one of us should be striving to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to help build up others. The short list of people who happen to get up here on stage on a Sunday morning, that is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. I know we feel like it matters. I know just by virtue of the fact that the stage is, you know, some number of inches raised up off the floor, it feels like this is where the action's taking place. Let me tell you something. The real action of church takes place out there. It doesn't happen up here. Important things happen when somebody overcomes the fear of speaking in public and, and having to, to concentrate all week as they think about what kind of message they're going to share. And, and you, 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 you work through all that and you got people who sing in, in front of us to help us sing together. Like those people, it's important. What they're offering, that sacrifice, it matters. But if you think that the 15 people who get on this stage during a worship service, that that's where the, the real action is, you don't know how God looks at the church. The real action is out here. It's among you. It's within you. I'm convinced that when God shows up at church, and I'm pretty sure he never misses, he's standing here looking at you. This is his vanity. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. Not the 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever. This, I can't be the church by myself. That's not the point. And it's so difficult because we're not just 30, 40 people in a courtyard looking each other right in the face and, and looking in the eye and trying to search to see, has God given me something to speak into your life this morning? Has God given me an insight into what you're going through that I've gone through before and I can stand with you in your journey and, and I can say, you know, I, I've been there before and here's what God's done for me. I, I think, brothers and sisters, if I can say this as somebody who stands on a stage, I think we should stop paying so much attention to the people who get on stage. I, I hope we can help you, but we cannot replace you. We can't do what you're individually called to do in this place, in this moment, on this day. We can't do it. Worship is always more than being led. 
You know, it's always more than being led in singing and praying and sharing a communion and interpreting God's word. Worship includes how every one of us interacts with everyone around us. Look, in 1 Corinthians 14, what he says is, look, there's a manageable number of you, and, and he even says at one point, each one of you comes with a word, with an instruction, with a song. Everyone brings something to the table. If you thought about church as a, as a feast, a meal, all of us bring something to add to the meal. And he says, just, just take your time. Make sure that everybody gets a moment. Because at some point in a worship service, you're going to be called to speak. At other times, you're going to be called to let somebody else speak. Figure out what it is you're called to do in every given moment at that worship service and make sure that whether you're speaking or you're listening or you're leading songs or you're participating in songs or you're talking about communion or you're partaking in communion, make sure you're not doing it for you. Do it for us. Do it for us. Every single time the church gathers together for worship, the Holy Spirit is seeking to work through you. Through your words and your actions to help someone else draw closer to the heart of Jesus. And that can't happen if you're not here and it can't happen if you're not open when you're here. here here's what I, I want to say. I don't care if you were aware of it or not. And some days I'm more aware of it, and other days I'm blind to it. But you are in this room on this morning for a reason, for a person. I don't know who it is. I know they're here. And God has called you through the Holy Spirit to say something that only you can say to them. To do something that only you can do. For I can't do it. I can't say it. And if I tried to say it or do it, it wouldn't work in their life the way God wants it to work. And I, I'm tired of, of, of reading descriptions of church or, or, or reading about models of church that are kind of predicated on personality or charisma or somebody having a vision that everybody else buys into. We don't need a new vision. Our vision is Jesus Christ crucified. And resurrected again. That's not up for debate. I don't care if we slap it on a poster somewhere or not. Right? This, this is supposed to be about all of us. Not just some of us. And those of us who are in positions to get up and talk. I, I'm telling you right now. The most important words that get spoken in this building on Sunday mornings. Probably don't come from this stage. I mean, I'm up here, so I hope there are times that through the power of the Holy Spirit, important things are spoken from this stage. But I'm telling you, there's somebody here that needs you to see them, that needs you to notice them, that needs you to talk to them, that needs you to listen to them, that needs you, not me, they need you. Because you're the version of Christ they need the most right now. Man, I wish we came to church with that expectation on that kind of mission. Yeah, I have a theory about our culture, and I think it's seeping into the culture of every church I've been a part of. I, I think that a lot of us are bored. You know, we, we have our basic needs met for the most part. We kind of know how to do our jobs. 
And so we are distracting and entertaining ourselves to death because we're bored. You know what's not boring? Waking up expecting to be the version of Jesus that someone else desperately needs. And if they don't encounter it in you, they may miss it altogether. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to this place. And I, I'm telling you, it's why things, I, I feel like at times we, we dismiss fellowship like it's just fellowship. You know, next week we, we've invited you uh, to this time of fellowship at 9 a.m. And it's like, oh, well, we'll skip that because, you know, it's just fellowship. No. Sacred, holy conversations happen, as amazing as this is, around coffee and donuts. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks God could turn coffee and donuts into bread and wine. That it's communion somehow in ways we don't understand. Right? And, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't call it as graceful as a gazelle, but when we're skating on Wednesday night... There's going to be conversations happening in the skating place. There's no G, right? The skating place. (laughs) And there's going to be somebody there on Wednesday night that needs you to be there. I don't know why. I don't know who. But I know they need you. Not me, you. Because you're the version of Christ that they desperately need to encounter. That's what the Holy Spirit makes possible. It's never... The person on stage that we should be paying attention to. It's the spirit that speaks through them, but that also speaks through you. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I've had days where I try my hardest to be faithful. You know, I I preach my sermon. I don't feel great about it because I'm way too focused on me and the whole thing. I'll just be honest. And then I'll get in the van and Reese will say to me, Daddy, I really loved it when you said this. And that will be what I needed to hear at church. Right? I needed to hear what Joel and Kendra said at communion. That's, I needed to be here for that. That's why that, they spoke the words that I, I didn't even know I needed it. But I feel at times like an old building with burned up bricks on the outside. And everybody sees them because because of the most obvious thing about me. And I needed to be reminded that when we, we come to the table, all of us, broken, restored buildings, that the Holy Spirit's at home inside of us. I don't know who you're here for, but you're here for somebody. It may be somebody you rode here in the car with. It may be somebody you've never had a conversation with before. Every time the church gathers together, I don't care what we're doing, brothers and sisters, God considers it worship. It's worship. And what we do at worship is we build one another up. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, my prayer and my hope is that this week you wake up every morning expecting for the Holy Spirit to place you in the right moment in someone else's life to help them be closer to Jesus. Because I'm telling you, every day this week, there's going to be a moment. But we'll miss it. If we think it's all about us, if we think it's all about what we're going to get out of it, 
If we come to church bored because the songs or the sermon or the whatever wasn't exactly what we wanted, that you're only bored when, when you're in a posture to not be doing something that matters. Come to church and do something that matters. Build somebody up in a way that only you can. Let's stand together and sing.